welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. It'll be nice to not have to worry about that. They also agree. They're like, yep, poop. (laughs) My dewormer for the entire family came just in case, you know, because we like were, you know, they were pooping everywhere. And we were like, we were really good about washing our hands, but we wanted to really like, I was like, nah, it doesn't hurt to deworm ourselves. Like Like, you guys personally. Yeah. Because like there was 12 (laughs) puppies. We all helped clean up the poop. We all like carried the puppies around and they likely had stepped in some of the poop. I mean, like I know that they have because I had to bathe a couple of them because they were like rolling around in poop. Um, And then like, like I said, we were really good about washing our hands. But then I started thinking, I was like, dude, we were probably like stepping in it though, too. I'm sorry. I'm super distracted by one of them in the background right now. It's like attacking whatever that yellow thing is. And then SpongeBob. Oh, attacking SpongeBob and then rolling around on the floor like a crazy little munchkin. I know they keep coming to the food dishes like like hey it's here. time yeah. time to eat almost oh they're stalking each other and like just hopping I'm sorry I totally disrupted you but that was really cute I mean like I will never be offended by puppy disruptions <laughs> like whatsoever because they are super cute plus I'd rather talk about that than like the chance of me having internal parasites from the puppies from the cute ass puppies <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so funny. i just figured i would take a precaution like as a mom i should probably also care for my family too just yeah in case. i mean it's not but, a bad idea because it's a lot of puppies it's a lot of puppies and like even pua and stuff like that like uh it's just you know i'm just being cautious and plus the dewormer comes in little chocolate bars so i haven't tried it yet obviously um chocolate bar did you get this from your i was gonna say your primary vet did you get it from your primary vet (laughs) no i ordered it from amazon from amazon yeah because like you can buy general like pyrantal over the counter like at kroger or walgreens or wherever yeah you can no serious yes because that's crazy because kids get pinworms from school Oh my God, this makes me want to like, just go deeper myself. Right yeah. Now. But the stuff at the store is banana flavored, which is why I specifically bought the chocolate Ooh. bars. It does not taste good. <laughs> like, cause we've, we've dewormed ourselves before because like, you know, kids are gross and <laughs> that is wow. Cause like, apparently, well, I mean, like, I'm not surprised, but apparently kids can get like pinworms from like wiping their butts and then like not washing their hands cause they're kids. And then they touch their desks and then another mm-hmm. kid will get them. Just like puppies, you know, walking around in their poo. Yeah, exactly. True. True. Interesting. So as gross as it is, like my family's already been dewormed once. Might as well do it again. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) Well, it's just like, like as soon as I found out about the pinworms thing, like I didn't even bother to look. I was just like, this was like last year. And I was Mm. like, "Mm, we're not going to take any precautions. Like my kids have been in school for a year now. Like, let's go ahead and just just as a general precaution yeah because i was i was because i work in veterinary medicine and i was like we don't need roundworms in the eyes even though i don't think pinworms do that i just Mm. you know i probably should go get some myself because i'm sure i've been exposed 
to quite a number of worms in my lifetime and uh you <laughs> so yeah that's, that's um funny. that's my deworming journey and we can't do a how's your week because we're recording this early we are recording um, it early but we can talk about acbim because that yes. should be happening what next like week? next week yeah god i can't believe this is coming up so soon I also yeah. can't believe this is the second year in a row that we are not live for ACBIM. I know. You I remember, remember like, last year we were like, definitely next year we're meeting up. Yeah. Like we started a business and have seen each other twice in two years. Uh, yeah. We Since we've started the business together, we've seen each other once. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we met once and then we've seen each other once. I know, right? That's like... <laughs> Oh and my yet God. somehow still going strong. It, it seems to be working. Yeah. I mean, what if we really disliked being around each other? I mean, I didn't like dislike being around you when we did visit when yeah. you came here. It was just a really short, quick visit. And it was an interesting time for me. Um, so the next visit should definitely <laughs> I know I felt so bad. I'm like, oh my God, you just like you literally had just gotten home from Florida. Yeah, we were at Disney. Like the day before, and I was like, if I would have known that, I'd have picked a different weekend. Sorry. I keep telling my boss though that I'm going to take time off in September so I can come out and visit you. Oh my god, that'd be cool. Well, you could stay in the she shack now because it is heated and air conditioned. I'm so like we also just have to put like some sort of sleeping spot in here for you. I also saw that the Monterey Bay Aquarium is open now. Oh, is it? Disneyland is open now. Well, Um, Disneyland's quite the trek from here. Okay, well, the so at least Bay a six-hour drive, oh, so it'd be like lame. you going to Florida. Actually, that's further away than me going to Florida. Yeah, <laughs> like, so which is stupid considering I drive through two states, right? And I'm still in the same state. Yeah, I'm but, I'm then, in the middle of my state too. So like, maybe yeah. I could see my old house. Uh, how far away is Laguna Beach? Believe past uh, Disneyland. Oh, right. That makes sense because I went to Disneyland a ton as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Like, and like, mm. it was like, I remember being like very close, like within like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I think it's further south. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of Florida, though, I'm going to Florida with all the girls from work coming up. Oh, we're taking, nice. We're taking a mental health trip. Um, girls only. Oh, that's super fun. Down to Santa Rosa, Florida. I've never been there. I've never actually been to the gulf side of florida other than Mm. like the keys but i feel like the keys are like different like it's not the same Mm. um so it's near destin i guess and it's supposed to be like crystal clear water and i checked the weather and it's gonna be like 90 degrees and sunny Mm. and beautiful and we we rented a house down there for memorial day weekend it actually wasn't bad though for four of us to go it was four hundred dollars per person for the whole weekend yeah it was really nice (laughs) whoa did somebody anyway. just die <laughs> <laughs> i honestly think that they saw my husband downstairs and like are screaming about it <laughs> oh my god that was an amazing squeak yeah um but yeah no so we're going down to santa rosa and then my friend and i but my best friend is our client service representative she's our receptionist mm. and she works remotely for us right now so she lives three hours away from me she doesn't even like work with us <laughs> oh wow um, but she's going and we said that we we're going to get random tattoos. And then like my other technician, who's like my right hand man is going. And then one of our new technicians is going. 
Oh, how fun. That'll be, yeah. that'll be so fun. The, and that is the reason we are recording early. Yeah. <laughs> Cause normally we record on the weekends, but I was like, dude, you're not going to be there. Let's try to record them on the same day. Yeah. So we're recording these two kind of back to back for us, but they'll release normal times. So, yep. um, but yeah, yeah. It'll be fun. vacations. Hmm. But yes, I'm going to try to plan to come out to see you in like February. No, I said September. I mean, September. Mm, yeah. September. Yeah. It'll be fun. It'll be nice weather here. Won't be too hot, too cold. Hopefully. I mean, like I need it to be above 75. It should should be. Should I come in August? Maybe I should come in August. Oh, August is really hot. No, September. I love, okay. I really love really hot. Like everybody was like Phoenix in June. And I was like, yes. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. Don't come in August. not quite Phoenix, but it's close. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I guess you are still like desert and like, like yeah, it definitely feels like desert here for it's sure. Funny, because yeah. like what when we first started recording, you're like, I think that's the least amount of clothes I've ever seen you in. Because like <laughs> I just got back from the gym and it's hot here. So it's like I'm wearing a crop top and like some shorts. And like I know. <laughs> Normally she's like bundled up in like five layers of sweatshirts and yeah. everything. So I know you like you like it super hot. I'm uh I don't like it super hot. I like it warm, not too hot. Cold is better than hot for me because yeah. you can always warm up. You can't really cool down sometimes. I, I got home the other well. day and like Matt had turned the AC down to 72 for the puppies because um, it gets really warm in this uh, bedroom up here. Oh, because of the um, heat rising such. Yeah. Yeah. And so he turned it down. Dude, I walked through the door. I was like, what the hell? I was You're like, like why is it so iceberg? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, why is it so freezing in here? And I turned it back up to 77. And I was like, yeah, no, we don't, we don't do 72. I was like, this is, <laughs> the dogs so can acclimate. It's fine. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's so Jordan, funny. the human, on the other hand, cannot acclimate. And right. <laughs> anyway. Oh, so funny. He, to get on topic this week. So, uh, we are going to be talking about pulmonary edema. We still are working on race approval, so it's not race approved quite yet. Um, but you can definitely use this as self-study in most places and, you know, get your learn on and all that fun business. So we're going to, um, we're going to kind of jump into this episode, um, unless we need to cover anything else before. Oh, quick reminder. ACBAM next week. And if you're listening to this when this goes live, uh, Jordan will be at two lectures. So check out mm-hmm. her lectures. If you are interested in getting your VTS, uh, the AMVT Academy has a lecture, well, lecture or meeting about the application process. And then we have our, our membership meeting as well. So yeah, definitely come check it out because we'll be we'll both Jordan and I are involved with that because we're part of the uh, the board for the academy. So mm-hmm. um, it's definitely ACM ACBM is definitely a good continuing education conference, and since it's virtual, anybody can go, which is great. Yeah, it's nice. And then next year it's going to be in Texas. Yeah, it's going to be is our halfway point. It is going to be halfway, which is great. So we'll have to we'll have to figure something out for that. Let's rent a house. Let's do we it. Definitely should. And then we'll have to have yeah. like a little like get together with everybody. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> we'll 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 think of something. We gotta think of something big. So we have a Since, year. You know, we didn't get to do it last year or this year. 
Yeah, no joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's dive into the pulmonary edema. So the so the definition definition of pulmonary edema is an abnormal accumulation of fluid in the interstitial tissue, not the fluid, mm-hmm. um, and the alveoli. And this can this can occur a couple of different ways. So first is cardiogenic. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it can be in conjunction with circulatory disorders. So heart stuff, right. Um, it can be from left ventricular failure or increased capillary permeability. It can also occur from like anaphylactic or allergic reactions and some infectious diseases. So there's the cardiogenic pulmonary edema, and then there's the non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema, the treatment is very different for the two, but what's happening in the chest, as far as like the lungs go is, is similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but treatment is going to be very different. So we're going to kind of break it down between the two as best yeah. as we can. Well, and like, and <laughs> this is different from plural effusion. Yes. Because this is within the lungs um, versus pleural fusions around the lungs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it is it is very different when it comes to like treatment and causes for that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that there's fluid within the lungs, they're, they're going to react the same mm-hmm. as far as like clinical Symptoms. signs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, it's hard because you can't just say, oh, this is what they're doing. It's because of the heart or it's not because of the heart. You actually do have to do more diagnostics to figure out which one it is for treatment options. Mm-hmm. So one of the big things about the edema is it's a physiologic fluid movement through a vascular membrane into the surrounding tissue. And it depends on three different things. How permeable is that membrane? So the vascular membrane, if it's permeable, it'll let things through. Is there oncotic pressure gradients that are changing? So this is like, we've talked about, we've talked about, uh, proteins and stuff like that, like, especially albumin, right? So if one side has a higher pressure gradient than the other, the fluid is going to want to adjust. And so that causes a problem and then hydrostatic pressure gradient as well. So um, just concentrations and water stuff. So, so there's a lot of reasons why the fluids can cross over. So an additional thing is lymphatic drainage. So lymphatic drainage counteracts the extravascular fluid accumulation. So it helps get the fluid out. So if there's issues Mm -hmm. with the lymphatic system, we can get increased extravascular fluid. So does that make sense? Yes. For pulmonary edema to actually develop, one of the, the ways that it can happen is there is an increased intravascular hydrostatic pressure. So within the blood vessels, there's an increased pressure compared to outside of the blood of the vessels, or there could be disturbed vascular permeability. So Mm -hmm. we either have pressure changes or the the membranes are leaking. leaking. So again, cardiogenic, non-cardiogenic. All right. Yeah. Right. All right. So. We're going to talk first about 
cardiogenic pulmonary edema and kind of how that happens. If we have cardiogenic pulmonary edema, it's usually secondary to a rise in hydrostatic pressure in the pulmonary capillaries. So the little tiny capillaries in our lungs, if there's increased pressure there, um, Mm. then we get some leakage. So normal in capillaries is less than 12 millimeters of mercury. So, so if you think about pressure, that's, that's what we're looking at. Um, which is not a lot considering like when we're reading blood pressure, we're hoping it's like 120. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the capillary le- level, it shouldn't, there shouldn't be a ton of pressure there. No, we don't have the smooth muscle there. Like it's just a cell layer. So again, we don't want a lot of pressure because that'll damage capillaries as well, which is part of the problem. So the rise in that pressure is hopefully gradual. If it's gradual, it may be that you're not going to see pulmonary edema until you're above 20 because what happens is the lymphatics help drain it. Yeah. They're doing quicker. their job. They're yeah. supposed to. Exactly. If it's not gradual, it, it would be before below that, but if it's gradual, we're at 20. Yeah. I mean, we, if we think about like <laughs> lymphatic failure, like when we have like, even just like peripheral edema, mm-hmm. um, that is more like acute and like mm-hmm. failure of the lymphatic system just because to like keep up with everything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Versus like, I don't, when I think of called a uh, cardiogenic pulmonary edema, I think of like left-sided heart failure. Mm-hmm. Um, by definition though, like for cardiogenic pulmonary edema to develop, like there must be left-sided congestive heart failure, which is like an underlying cardiac disease that would cause the pulmonary edema, which left-sided heart failure can be acquired like advanced degenerative mitral valve disease or dilated cardiomyopathy, or it could be congenital like our PDAs, our patent ductus arteriosus. Or PDA because... Yeah, we're in internal medicine and we just call it PDA. Yeah. Yeah. So that's because you have that like increased pressure, like your left sided heart is not, you got backup coming back into the lungs. So you have the Mm -hmm. leaky vessels into the lungs because your left sided heart is not able to, there's too much pressure. It's not able to pump to the body like it should. Mm -hmm. That's cardiogenic pulmonary edema kind of straightforward. (laughs) I mean, it's kind Kind of straightforward because like it has to be left-sided heart failure. Mm -hmm. Like it has to be diagnosed as left-sided heart failure to be cardiogenic pulmonary edema. Yes, exactly. And then there's only like a few causes for left-sided heart failure. So true. Um, now, (laughs) now cardio, non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema, super fun. (laughs) This is all you. Oh, yeah. Okay. So there's various mechanisms that are responsible for non-cardiogenic edema. So it's low alveolar pressure. So within the alveolar, it's lower pressure than in the vasculature. So fluid's going to want to go there. Increased vascular permeability, right? So if it's more vascular, fluid goes across. Increased hydrostatic pressure. So again, increased pressure in the vessels right? comes in there or can be a combination of these things. Yay. Right. (laughs) So there's a couple of different 
things that can cause these. So when we're talking about low alveolar pressure, we ha- we can have re-expansion edema. So this is like, how do I explain it? So if you are, your lungs were collapsed at some point for some reason, mm-hmm. like maybe, you know, you had a pneumothorax or something like that. What can happen is once those lungs reinflate, you can actually get some edema that goes into the, the lungs because of that. You can also get post-obstructive edema. And this is, this. It, we'll talk about this a little bit. So like Larpar, brachycephalic, some of those mm-hmm. other things that can cause obstruction to the- Yeah, that to me, like, I don't know. I, I guess I just think inflammatory, like it, because it's, you know. Yeah. I just assume- I don't assume that it's inflammatory fluid per se, but just the inflammation is causing things to, because there's that increased pressure. Yeah. And that's kind of like the, the vasculitis part of it. So yeah. if you have vasculitis, you can definitely get this. There's neurogenic edema and then there's high altitude pulmonary edema. So we're going to kind of break these up. So, cause I had to figure out what all this meant low alveolar pressure from a re-expansion edema. So this is what happens like, so there's decreased alveolar pressure that develops after a fast removal of pleural effusion. So like if, if the lungs, like the chest cavity was full of fluid and we take it all out really quickly, then that can cause a re-expansion edema in the lungs. Pneumothorax we talked about, or if we remove a lung lobe quickly, mm-hmm. that can also cause problems in people there is a, a rare complication from re-expansion edema um, and the mortality rate's about 20%. That seems awfully high. I know. <laughs> like, yeah, like... I mean, I guess it doesn't happen. I mean, I think re-expansion doesn't happen super frequently, but if it does happen, then you can have a higher mortality rate. In veterinary medicine, they've shown, um, it, again, doesn't happen super frequently, there was two cases that they talked about that had this and both of them died because cats with respiratory just, I think are super sensitive. It doesn't happen very frequently, but if it does, it's, it's a serious issue. Now, low alveolar pressure because of a post-obstructive edema. This is when we've got an upper airway obstruction, which is called post-obstructive edema. So brachycephalic syndrome, laryngeal paralysis, tracheal collapse, strangulation. And then there's just iatrogenic from like intubation or bronchoscopy, which is crazy to me that that's even a thing. I guess I'm going to have to start adding that to like my consent form. <laughs> like, I know. I was like, like what? Uh. <laughs> um, respiratory. Seriously. There's also, this is interesting. There's, this was in the literature, which cracked I've me. actually heard about this though. Really? Yeah. I've read about I mean, this I before. Guess, I guess I just don't have a lot of hunting dogs. I would say, me. yeah, I live in the <laughs> South. Like, yes. Right. This is so, a thing. Apparently hunting dogs may be partially obstructed because they get laryngeal edema associated with prolonged and constant barking. I just think of beagles when I think of prolonged and constant barking. I mean, that's basically what it is. I mean, like we, there are like, they're just like hounds. Like we have yeah. a bunch of coon hounds and stuff like that out here that do that. Um, yeah. And I've seen, I've only seen one case of like a, like severe laryngeal edema dog. Mm. It was a hunting dog. Yeah. I mean, like, hmm. I've, seen them, 
with the brachycephalic syndrome. So we've, and I wonder, it's interesting because I wonder if some of these, cause you know how, well, I don't know because you don't deal with surgery very much, but I'm sure previously yeah. you saw them recovering when you've got your brachycephalic dogs. So the, I don't know. I see a big difference between like Frenchies and English bulldogs. Mm-hmm. I feel like English bulldogs usually recover better because they're so used to just being chill <laughs> versus our Frenchies didn't recover as well the- because they're like ah, ugh, yeah. freaking out or the pugs that are freaking out. And so I wonder if for them, they get some of that laryngeal edema from just like freaking out plus surgery because we've had a couple of them that like, we've had to intubate them because like they're, they're doing all sorts of stuff with being post-op, but I wonder if that's part of it too. Yeah. It's Um, interesting to think of post-obstructive pulmonary edema in dogs and cats is, um, probably probably possibly much more common than it's actually um, diagnosed. They think that um, they're being diagnosed as like a cardiogenic edema, but it could actually be potentially like a post-obstructive edema, which is kind of interesting. The dyspnea and edema can be associated with stress or exercise or edema associated with anesthesia or because these animals have two, um, kind of diseases at the same time. So like a tracheal collapse and a degenerative mitral valve disease, but it could be that it's actually post-obstructive edema and not yeah, cardiogenic. So, which is crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Which is why you want to do an echo on these dogs, but we'll talk about that in a minute. (laughs) Then there is a neurogenic edema. So this is <laughs> ready. This sounds like big old words. I know. I'm like, so this is, this is excessive sympathoadrenergic activation in the medulla oblongata that plays a central role in the neurogenic edema. <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> makes me sound super smart. And I'm not I was exactly like, this makes total sure sense. And I'm like 100% following. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens is pulmonary venous, the pulmonary veins are constricted and this shifts blood from the systemic to the pulmonic circulation. So this is all right. It's, it's that it's your parasympathetic nervous system. That's just kind of doing kind of weird things. So, and this increases pulmonary hydrostatic pressure and then you you get edema. So this is this neurogenic edema has been described in dogs that have brain trauma, epileptic seizures, or electrocution. So this is when the medulla oblongata just kind of goes a little bit crazy again, (laughs) This is really funny. Uh, pulmonary edema in hunting dogs during or after hunt is also thought to be caused by excessive catecholamine secretion, which then messes with the medulla oblongata. So hunting dogs apparently just have it both ways. And then there's also, this is kind of interesting, that there is a particular neurogenic edema that can kind of happen with endurance athletes Oh, I've read about this too. Yeah. So apparently they get cerebral edema and then that causes them to be hyponatremic, which then 
messes with your CNS, with your uh, medulla oblongata, which can cause a neurogenic edema as well. The nice thing about that particular neurogenic edema, that one with support, like just supportive care, they usually do really well. So for the endurance athletes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So interesting. That's super, I mean, I guess not super common, but it's seen amongst like the um, sports dogs. Mm. Like Mm. the ones who are like aggressively running after balls all day or like Mm. going around a racetrack or, um, you know, just doing the sports. Wow. Then there is um, acute respiratory distress syndrome. So vasculitis, which is ARDS. This is severe and diffuse damage to the lung resulting in endothelial and epithelial disturbances of permeability and the extra exit of protein rich fluid. Again, we're talking about the permeability of the, the vessels. Make, they're, they're more permeable. So the problem with this is you've also got coagulation uh, factor disturbances. You've got perfusion disturbances and then the loss of surfactant within the alveolus that keeps them open when you're not flowing air through them. ARDS, I mean, I don't see a ton of ARDS, but I don't see a ton of diagnosed ARDS. I do wonder if some of our patients have ARDS and we just don't know about it, unfortunately. Yeah, right. (laughs) Like, ooh, ARDS can be a complication of primary lung disease, toxic smoke, inhalation, um, aspiration of gastric contents. So, uh, aspiration pneumonia, inhalation of hyperbaric oxygen or, um, oxygen intoxication, and then pneumonia would also potentially cause ARDS. We can also see ARDS with severe systemic uh, disease like sepsis, extensive burns, acute pancreatitis, The prognosis, unfortunately, for these guys is usually poor just because it is intensive supportive care. And most of the times there's so many things going on that that they don't tend to do well. Pulmonary edema, similar to ARDS, can also be found with multiple blood transfusions. I've definitely seen this happen, unfortunately. The problem with that is it is definitely life-threatening, but the prognosis is better if it's from multiple blood transfusions compared to ARDS specifically. So it's kind of interesting. They're, they're similar and linked, but not the same. Hmm. And then the last one that is non-cardiogenic is high altitude pulmonary edema. So this is over 3000 meters 3,000 meters is 9,842 feet. So high altitudes. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it's about times three, right? So if you're, you're talking 9,800 to like 10,000 feet altitude, which is high, high mountains that can also cause a non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema in susceptible individuals especially if you're not used to that altitude, you could be susceptible to it. Or if you have like other underlying issues, you could, you could potentially get pulmonary edema. (sighs) Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. So the thing about understanding pulmonary edema is first understanding, is it cardiogenic or is it non-cardiogenic? And this could be 
history, right? Figuring out if they've had any concurrent disease or do they have a history of cardiac disease? Clinical signs that we'll see with, um, with either one, right, is respiratory distress. Mm-hmm. So we'll take x-rays and we'll be like, yes, we see fluid <laughs> right? mm-hmm. within so, the lungs and not right, around the lungs. Exactly. So clinical signs. So for cardiogenic pulmonary edema, we usually will have some history of a heart murmur present. And that's because there's, so there's typically a heart murmur present. We can also see tachypnea or orthopnea. Mm-hmm. Uh, did we talk about orthopnea? In yes, episode we did. Already? Yes. Yeah. So that's the, the weird breathing where they, they stretch out their neck and they're, they're sitting up and they're trying to breathe. It's, it's very, it's very distinctive. So respiratory distress and coughing for cats with heart failure. A lot of times we don't see (laughs) issues prior to acute onset of respiratory distress because cats do what they want. So non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema. I know it's funny. I'm like, look at the history. Yeah. I mean, like we, we kind of talked about it already just because like, so they may have had an event that is a known trigger of non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema. So things like electrical cord injuries, upper airway obstruction and seizures, barking excessively because you're a hunting dog right. um, <laughs> or the patient may uh, be hospitalized with a serious illness. Um, and then signs of pulmonary edema are very similar to the cardiogenic where it's tachypnea and respiratory distress usually. Yep. So the differential diagnosis between these, so differential is cardiogenic versus non-cardiogenic. <laughs> we know that we have pulmonary edema. And then I would, I guess the other differential di- diagnosis for the, all these is going to be like typical respiratory stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So like pneumonia, bronchitis, asthma, those kinds of things. But I mean, if you, if you get to the point where you're differentiating between cardiogenic versus non-cardiogenic, you've already kind of ruled out the rest of it. So yeah, yeah, exactly. But you got to just rule out like pleural effusion versus pulmonary effusion. (laughs) (laughs) Diagnostics really is based on imaging. What happens is if it's cardiogenic, well, we talked about diagnosing cardiogenic pulmonary edema though, because we have to diagnose left-sided heart failure. True. So I imagine that there has to be like an EKG or, I mean, not an EKG, an echo yeah. performed, but um, like you're going to usually do radiographs before you do an echo. Right. So when they're talking about x-rays, so congestion, so pulmonary edema congestion, we see a dilated pulmonary vein. We see cardiogenic edema that in dogs initially is characterized by increased interstitial lung pattern. And then we will see it and we'll see alveolar pattern. We'll see that in the, in, in the x-rays. And then ideally they would have an echo to figure out are any of those, you know, congenital or non-congenital things present that indicate heart disease. Um, but again, it could be weird because you could have concurrent things going on. Like I have mitral valve disease and a collapsing trachea and I chewed on a cord. Cause why not? Right. <laughs> Cause it's a Yorkie. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So really it is about x-rays and, and an echo just to make sure, you know, kind of what we're dealing with. The treatment is very different for the two. 
So if it's cardiogenic, really the focus is to decrease the preload on the heart. So decrease pressure. And that's going to be used with um, really aggressive diuresis using loop diuretics. You know, we just want to decrease the amount of fluid to, you know, not overwhelm and overload the heart causing issues. The problem is if it's non-cardiogenic edema, if you use diuresis, it's actually not going to get any better. It, It probably will actually make it worse because most of the times the diseases that could cause non-cardiogenic edema require fluid therapy to treat that underlying disease. So like sepsis, pancreatitis, lepto, those kinds of things, you would need fluids to support them, not dehydrate. (laughs) The problem is that despite needing fluid therapy, we have to be very careful right? We can't do like three to five times maintenance like that. That will not work because they've already got fluid in their lungs. So we have to be very cautious and very like monitor very closely to make sure that even though we're giving fluids, we're not overwhelming anything further. Because again, something has changed, whether that's the permeability or the pressure within the lungs, any, you know, we haven't fixed that yet. So we just have to be careful about, you know, increasing our fluid amount in the body. The other thing for non-cardiogenic edema is going to make sure that we optimize our oxygenation for our patients. So this could be, you know, putting them in an oxygen cage, or you could do the nasal cannula or worse comes to worse. They may need to be intubated and then have positive and expiratory pressure or PEEP pressure Mm -hmm. to help push the fluid out of the alveolus and back into the vessels. vessels. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So we're going to use increased pressure to push it out. So it's like, I kind of think of it as like a sponge, right? Mm -hmm. If you squeeze the sponge, it gets the water back in the sink. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Uh, steroids. So glucocorticoids with non-cardiogenic has been kind of a controversial thing. If the patient has ARDS, so acute respiratory distress syndrome, a low dose of steroids can help, but other things, it can make it worse. So again, it's like, you got to figure out why the patient's having these things. Um, so you don't want to give steroids in like a pneumonia patient. Right. Exactly. And then if a patient has pulmonary edema because of lepto, which is kind of interesting, I don't think I've ever thought of that, but in case they have it because of lepto, because apparently that's the thing for humans, um, steroids can make that pulmonary edema better as well, which I don't know why but I'm guessing because of like inflammation and all that fun stuff. Hmm. Treatment, again, cardiogenic edema, treat the underlying cause that's causing it. Cardiogenic, get rid of the fluid that is too much in the system. Sound good? Sounds good. That's a lot. Like (laughs) a lot of this episode, I'm like, dude, this is all you. (laughs) Well, and I, I knew some of it, but because like, I've, I've worked with like our cardiologists, but some of it, I was like, wait, what? And I'm like, oh, I remember that. But 
I haven't thought about it in forever. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, the big thing with this like pulmonary edema patients in general, there is going to be a lot of tech skills that are involved because we are monitoring the respira- respiration rate and effort or monitoring their heart rate, blood pressure, oxygen saturation, body temperature. We're going to try to keep them in a stress-free environment, especially if it is cardiogenic. So we don't make things worse. And then it's just, again, treating what other, whatever other underlying thing is happening yeah, <laughs> to make sure it doesn't get worse. So repeat radiographs frequently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I guess, you know, the whole, like what to expect at home for these patients, if it's cardiogenic, you know, clients just need to be very careful to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So follow up frequently to make sure you know, the medications they're on is working. Um, hopefully if it's non-cardiogenic, once the issue has been fixed, we don't have to worry about it going forward. Although if it's like LARPAR or tracheal collapse, you know, warning the clients that if they do have a distress episode, it can be a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just, it's more, or if you have a working dog or a hunting dog that is crazy care and like, let them like have a rest day, rest week. Right. Even if they don't understand it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even if they're like, this is horrible. Sometimes you have to be the human and tell them no. Yep. So, so yeah, so there's, there's all those, those goodies. Uh, yeah. Pulmonary edema. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, like, really, respiratory is just not my favorite. I like placing nasal cannulas. <laughs> I like doing that. I think respiratory is hard because there's just so many things that are, like, with it, right? Like, is it the heart? Is it all these other things that are contributing to the respiratory system? Yeah. You know, and it's it's frustrating because a lot of times they're not easy fixes. Not oh, that it many be in internal medicine, medicine. <laughs> like if it was. <laughs> right? So true. So I guess tip of the week for this week is just remember to figure out first if it's non-cardiogenic or it's cardiogenic because the treatment is so different, right? Um, and if you give a diuretic and they're not getting better, you, you may be dealing with pulmonary edema from something else. So um, just because it has heart disease doesn't mean that it has. It's the tip of the week. Pulmonary edema. It could be non-cardiogenic and they just have concurrent um, heart disease. What is something that you look forward to? What is this, June? For the second half of 2021. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. What do I look forward to? Um, maybe actually getting to go to California. <laughs> right. Yeah. I would say or that's... going to a real conference. Oh, right. I don't think I'll go to one this year. Yeah. I don't think this year is happening for me because I'm technically going to ACVM. So, and now for the question of the week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it'd be cool for you to come this way. 
And then we'd have to go to the Monterey Bay Aquarium and we'd probably have to get our tattoos done then. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I look forward to this year on the second <laughs> half of 2021. Right. And seeing my puppies get bigger. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. They're so stinking yeah. cute. They're so stinking. Oh. Oh. Very excited. Ah! Oh. Oh my God. On that note, Jordan's, <laughs> Jordan's earbuds are being eaten at this point. Please don't have electric shock, little puppy. <laughs> yeah, no electrical cord accidents. Oh my God. We might get some pulmonary edema. No. We can't. Not this young. Stop it. Oh my God. <laughs> you hear your siblings? He's like, oh. no. <laughs> oh my God. It's wild. It's almost dinner time and everybody's getting wound up because this is the time that we go outside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think we covered uh, pulmonary edema and on the note of puppies going insane. <laughs> yeah, they're literally, there's one on each side of the baby gate and they're barking at each other. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cute though. Like, how do you I think not, they're saying like, bye and they're like, food time we gotta go it's dinner time <laughs> all right well you guys have a wonderful week keep getting your learn on thanks for joining us and uh we'll talk to you next week bye <laughs> puppies say bye <laughs> bye puppies <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's kind of cute though. Like, how do you? I think not, they're saying like, bye, and they're like, "Food time, we gotta go." It's dinner time. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys have a wonderful week. Keep getting your learn on. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs> Puppy, say bye. <laughs> bye, puppies. <laughs>